Tozer says this, it should be up here, but it says, always a living person is present, speaking, pleading, loving, working, and manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people have the receptivity necessary to receive the manifestation. Um, Psalm 139 tells us that God is, is there wherever we go. Um, but the truth <coughs> is that um, we miss him all the time. Um, we can have a portion of our day, we can have all day go on, and all of a sudden we get to a place where I, I didn't give thought to him at all today. Um, and even if he was there and I gave thought to him, I didn't notice him or I felt absent. Um, and we can go for days like that, even longer, weeks and months, and it appears that he's distant oftentimes, um, rather than the kind of things that we experienced here. Um, and that's a common problem for all of us, is that we don't have to pay attention we don't make room for listening to him. Um, the noise and the lure of the world dulls our senses to the presence of God. Um, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. But we can become so enamored and filled with other voices that we begin to forget what his voice looks like. We become unfamiliar with it. And we just get swept along um, in our weeks and all the tasks of our week. And it's like, God was there. I know he was, but I didn't really notice where he was. So we're looking at the spiritual disciplines this month. They just introduced them last week. Um, and the reason they connect with that, they are intentionally, um, intended to intentionally create habits and rhythms and practices through which God can show us to himself a fresh way and transform us. And they help us pay attention to his presence in us, in our lives, so that he can do a transforming work in us. Um, neglecting of them, it just puts us more out of touch with the God who's there and present all the time. Discovering daily the presence of God all around us is our goal. In essence, there are practical ways to abide in Christ, as John 15 tells us. John 15 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch of their fruit. And the spiritual disciplines are really means by which to abide in Christ, to pay attention to his presence, and the outflow of that is always going to be the fruit that the Spirit produces work in us, working in us. So if we focus on abiding, uh, we're going to bear fruit in the lives of ourselves and the lives of others. We're just touching on three disciplines, um, so it's brief, so we'll come back this a year from now, do another three, another three. Um, there's all sorts of them. And uh, today I want to give a little context to why we're doing the three that we are, and then I'm going to do the first one, and then John's going to pick up the second one next week, and then the third one, which will be end of March. So if you have a Bible or you can look up on the screen, I have a turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. Um, and I'm going to read these. We went through a very similar passage to this in Matthew, not that long ago, but I'm going to read from Luke 6, verses 12 through 19. And these days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and also Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And when he came down with them and stood in a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they all had come to hear him to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, 
And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came up from him, and he healed them all. So like I said, we recently went through a passage like this in Matthew, um, and there's a pattern to what's happening in this passage here. I first was struck by this, I uh, read an article by Henry Nowen over 20 years ago um, in a, a magazine, and they should put it into a book later, and we're stealing from him tonight a little bit, because the, the pattern just, just caught my attention, mainly because it's such a clear pattern of Jesus um, in our midst. So... Um, Here's my thoughts, and it's, like I said, I stole them from him. But there's a pattern here. Where does Jesus start? Look at this passage. It said, Jesus went up onto a mountaintop, and it actually was at nighttime, um, to pray. Um, where it was quiet. Um, he was alone. Um, he didn't go up there with a bunch of books. He didn't have any, anything to distract him. He didn't have something to write with. He just went up on the mountain and spent the night, and he prayed. It was just him. A couple places, as we'll look at later, it talks about when Jesus went to the mountain, it calls it a lonely place. And there's something about the idea of lonely, meaning um, not necessarily empty, but empty in terms of all the distractions. There's nothing there but the person and God who's with them. In this case, the Father being Jesus. Um, it was an isolated place. I don't know if you've ever gotten somewhere all by yourself and completely isolated. I mean, not like your bathroom, which works actually sometimes, but um, some place where you're, you're and I was so struck by that when I first came here to Arizona, um, from being from Seattle, we can only get to see like 10 feet and there's a tree blocking the view. Um, the, the expanse here, and we stand out the middle, I remember we drove out to the uh, Desert Museum the first time, and partway out there, I just kind of looked around, and like, it just goes forever, and you feel small, um, you feel this, this spot there, just, just you. Um, but Jesus starts um, starts this passage at night, and he's all alone. He's with the Father. He begins in solitude and silence, completely alone. By the way, completely alone, it's quiet. As you sing to yourself, but it's quiet. And he's just sitting here. Before anything else, we need to see, um, before we do anything, we're going to see this in a few moments, we need to first hear from God before we do anything else. Um, we tend to act first. Seek out God later. But in Jesus' case, he seeks the voice of God first, the Father. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded to whom we belong and where life comes from. And all those things that orientate us and shape us before we do anything else. Um, interesting, as Jesus goes out to this place, this lonely place at night, all by himself, it's there that he gets direction for what to do next. That's where the directions come from as he receives uh, indications about the disciples. So our first, and it's first for a reason, um, the first discipline we're doing is solitude and silence. And it's the hardest one. It's, it's probably one of the hardest ones. Um, and yet it's the first thing Jesus did. And then we saw in the passage, after he was up on the mountain, God gives him insight and direction. And he comes down the mountain, and he, he on the mountain there, and he does, what does he do next? Choose the disciples. He says, you are the twelve I'm starting with. He creates a community. We saw this in, in Matthew. We talked about the fact that as God comes along, he creates a new community. And so here are the disciples. He creates this new community of the calling of the twelve. When we have met with God and we find ourselves in him alone, then we actually have something to offer other people. Otherwise, all we're offering is us. And that's not enough. We want to offer what God gives to us. 
And so Jesus comes down having received something, and he offers himself to each other, and we get to do the same thing. And that is an offering to community. That is an entrance into a relationship with one another. We're going to see that solitude is never supposed to end with solitude and more solitude. Like the desert fathers that went like in the desert for 20 years and never saw anybody. So they got some good things out of that, but that's not what we're designed for. Solitude is always supposed to lead to connections and community and engagement. But Jesus comes down and he chooses the twelve and he steps into community. We'll <coughs> be teaching on that discipline um, next week. And so the first thing Jesus does is he's alone, in solitude, he's waiting, he's listening, and he gets direction, he comes down, and he enters into community with others that are like-minded with him. And then finally, at the end of the passage, what do they do? The disciples now in this new community, they move out into their world and what's happening? There's stuff to do. There's all sorts of things to do, and they're so busy. They're just, as a matter of fact, they're inundated by the people that have a need for them. Out of the beauty and growth that community brings, there's always going to be ministry and serving. Um, and that's this whole issue of us being a group that's sent. Um, just to spend time in solitude and receive something, and then we just stay there, it was never meant to be that way. Just to live in community with each other and never do anything with it, we weren't meant for that either. But the solitude and silence leads to community. The community breaks forth into service. That's the design. So solitude, community, and then ministry. Ministry is the overflow of time with God and community with God. Um, and when we have those things in order, a lot of good things happen. So Jesus had a pattern in order. But we usually do the opposite, don't we? We, we get the order um, very, very different. Um, the needs, the demands, our own expectations usually take first and center stage. And so, um, unless I'm the only one, we move into work first. We just get doing. We move into the things that, are, that seem to be before us. Um, sometimes in the morning, my first thought is, I'll, I'll say, okay, I need to be quiet for a moment. But my first thought is, what do I have to do today? Rather than saying, Lord, show me something today. Show me something yourself before I move out. But we do the opposite. Um, we immediately go into work and ministry and serving. Um, but the truth is, and we've all probably experienced at one time or another, we can't maintain that. That cannot last and be effective. Because it's not coming from any place. It's just us and our own self and doing whatever we can. Um, we work and we work and we work and we do it in our own power and without any direction and oftentimes without any discernment. And then after all that, we move into community with each other, and we're not ready to give. We're just ready to, to take, and we don't do it in a very good way. There's conflict, and we're worn out, and we, we're, we're not prepared to, to bring what God gave to us to each other. All we bring is our weariness and our tiredness and our burdens. So we come into relationship with the other frazzled. Um, we're not ready to build up each other. We're not ready to receive from each other. And then lastly... Um, we think okay, we gotta go do something now, and then it works. It just doesn't work. We end up spending our time in ministry and serving a place that God didn't intend, maybe. And we do it out of a place that's not in strengthening community, but that's in a frazzled, broken group. Jesus calls us to the very opposite of that. Henry Allen says this it begins by being with God in solitude, and then it creates a fellowship, a community of people with whom the good news is being lived. And finally, this community goes out together to heal and to proclaim the good news. And that sounds good. 
That's refreshing. That's where life comes from. That's where things begin to happen as God does his work. So we got them up here. Solitude, community, and ministry. Or if it's easier to think of it, think of it listening to God in encountering or connecting with each other and then um, serving our world. So those are our three things. We made that thought of community and serving as spiritual disciplines, what they are. The things that were activities that we're called to engage in. And the first one we're going to look at is solitude and silence. Um, I was going to do just solitude, but solitude and silence are a pair. They go together. As a matter of fact, you can just be all alone but be noisy and say so you don't really benefit from being alone. Um, and I mean, lots of us are in a car or on our bike or whatever it is by ourselves. If we have noise going on, it's not really silent. So I'm putting these together. Um, real silence draws out the best fruit from solitude is what happens. Let me read a few verses. Psalm 62, verse 1. In silence my soul waits for you, and it waits for you alone, O God. First Kings uh, 19, it's a story when Elijah goes up in the mountain, and he's hiding. And, and after a while, God comes along, and he comes, and there's this earthquake, and there's this wind, and all these different places. God shows up where? In the silence. It says there's a sheer silence. And that's when the presence of God actually showed up and actually gave uh, Elijah direction. Psalm 4610 says, Be still and know that I am God. The word be still means to let go of our grip. That's what it means. He says, When you come before God, let go of the grip of things. Quit hanging on and making things and trying to, to take control of life yourself. And sometimes we have to say, God, you need to undo my grip because my grip is so tight I can't let go. Letting go and waiting on God. Being still and letting go of the grip is to relinquish everything to Him. And that's what makes the discipline of solitude and silence so difficult. Um, because in that place, and it has to do with some Sabbath rhythms, it's a place where we let go of all of our striving, we let go of our control, we let go of our producing, all the things that we've held on to, um, we let them go. And so we would, um, I would rather skip those and go on to just doing. Um, and But we, we can't skip it because we've got to relinquish control for God to do the work. Solitude will invite us to find our all in Him. And that means giving something up. So instead of that, we busy ourselves and fill our hearts and minds with anything but solitude and silence. And we're called to something different. So I'd like to define it first and then look at a few um, examples of Jesus, how He did that. Um, one of the books I mentioned last week, Donald Whitney, he says this. The discipline of silence is a voluntary, we don't kind of know what this is, right? A temporary absentation from speaking. We don't talk. Um, but it's not only not speaking, but it's not letting noises and other sounds into us as well. So it's silencing our own tongues. It's silencing the things that come from outside. And if we really go in deeply, it's silencing all the noise in our minds and our hearts that we've built up. To abstain from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read, or to write, or to pray, and those kinds of things. So there's no outward speaking. But there are inner dialogues with the self and with God. And this can be called an outward silence. So I can sit and be quiet, but I might be reading, I'm journaling, I'm praying, those kinds of things. Um, but there's also an inward silence um, where we, we even cease those noises. Because they're, they're good ones, but we even sometimes cease those things just to listen. We can be so, the Bible is essential, we'll talk about this later, but we can be so busy doing some good spiritual things in our quiet time 
that we're not listening to what God's trying to say as we stop. It's, it's like with your kids. They say, stop talking for a minute. Just listen, right? Um, and that's here. Solitude is a spiritual discipline of voluntary and temporary withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. So the period of solitude may last only a few minutes or for days or for longer. Um, as with silence, solitude may be sought in order to participate without interruption in all the years this spiritual discipline to just be alone with God. In other words, silence and solitude are can be context by which we engage in other spiritual disciplines. Bible reading, prayer, can be fasting, can be writing, can be singing, whatever those kinds of things are. And they also can be in themselves completely still places and not bringing those things in. It's usually a combination of those. So if you have a quiet time in the morning and you get up and you spend 10 minutes reading your Bible by yourself, you're actually engaging in silence and solitude. That's one of those places. Um, there may be other places more that can do it, but that is a beginning step and that's exactly what's happening there. So it's a place set apart for God alone and can become a place inside where my spirit and the spirit of God dwell together in communion. Um, Thomas Burton says this, is the deepest level of communication is not communication, but it's communion. Does that make sense? The deepest level of communication is not communicating, but it's communion. There's a oneness of spirit that we experience with God as he dwells us and we can hear him and understand him. That's the aim that we're pressing for. That is why in silence and solitude, we should not get in this, um, we don't always bring stuff to it other than just ourselves. Because we want to commune with God, not just bring some here's what I got for you to talk about, and here's what I'm going to write about and read about um, with you. A little whole third part. Howard Baker, in a book called Soul Keeping, says this Silence and solitude together form a single path of quietness alone before God. They provide the two sides of the coin of undistracted devotion. Though we can practice them separately, when we employ them together, they place us before God in a special way. We are open, receptive, and vulnerable to the Lord. All the outer props are removed. In the quiet of retreat, with all the competing voices still, we learn to hear the gentle whisper of God's Spirit. Um, it is remarkable how much our lives are filled with, with sound. Not just necessarily vocal sound, but the rush of all the things, there is news, and there are thoughts, and there are concerns, and there's burdens, and conversations that, you know, if you're ever laid awake at night, you've thought back to a conversation, and things are getting kind of riled up about it, because you're thinking, I don't think I quite heard that, or I'm not sure if I feel very good about this, and it starts going through your mind, and you're laying there, all that stuff, and it just fills us, um, and it's only when we, when we can actually get to a place where we are so still and so quiet, where we begin to let go of the grip, and those things start fading away, we realize how noisy we are that, and how much the voice of God is so easily drowned out, or we avoid it altogether. We can get alone, uh, but we can be isolated, uh, but we can be very closed off to even hearing the voice of God even being alone. Um, we can fill with music or reading, um, all good things and things that should be done, but solitude um, finds its greatest depth when we're truly silent and can let those things be still. Hard to do. Very hard to do. We turn all of our anxious thoughts and plans and words over to God. So I think, I think we all agree sitting still, actually waiting. Napping is easy, right? 
No, it's not bad. It doesn't count. Um, sitting still and listening and waiting and letting those things be still in our hearts and minds is a hard thing to do. A.W. Tozer says this, Whoever will listen will hear the speaking heaven. This is definitely not the hour. He was ready back in the 40s, um, but it's true today. This is definitely not the hour when men take kindly to an exhortation to listen. For listening is not today a part of the popular religion. We are at the opposite end of the pole from there. Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster can make one dear to God. But we may take heart. To a people caught in the tempest of the last great conflict, God says this, Be still and, be, and know that I am God. And still today he says it, as if he means to tell us that our strength and our safety lies not in noise, but rather in silence. And Jesus knew that, interesting enough. Um, we practice over and over again. There's a few verses here, I'll just I'll mention them. Matthew 4, 1 says, Jesus was led up into the spirit, into the desert, remember? For 40 days and 40 nights um, of solitude and silence, and in his case, fasting as well. Interesting, in the Luke account, it says that when he went out, he was full of the Holy Spirit as he went into the, this place of solitude and silence. When he came back, it said that he came out in the power of the Spirit. And I don't know if there's a big difference between the two, but something occurred to us. He was tempted and tried and tested. Um, he comes out of that place um, ready for the word that God had given to him. Matthew 14, 23, it says that Jesus went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And it says when the evening came, he was found alone. You always wonder why Jesus went up in the mountains. Um, it's, uh, people just don't follow you up in the mountain. I think it's part of it. It's like, we're not going to climb up there. So he would climb in far away to get there, away from me. I had a closet at home. Um, and above the closet was a big cupboard. And that was my hiding place. I had a shared bedroom with my three brothers. And I wasn't really welcome in that room because I was the intruder. So my clothes were in the closet outside. And above the closet was this big big open area. I put a mattress up there, my maps and books, and I would climb up there because it's the way to get away from everything else. Um, either that or I'd go and climb in a tree, which is my other favorite thing. Um, when Jesus goes up on a mountain, it says that he was alone. Sometimes he took disciples with him. He often went alone. Mark 135 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went to a lonely and a solitary place. Luke 4, 42, at daybreak, he went to a solitary place. Mark, Matthew 14, after the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat, says, to a lonely place, and brought the disciples in that case with him. In Mark 6, he says to the disciples, come away by yourselves and come to a lonely place. And in Luke 5, it says, he withdrew to the wilderness where he prayed. And even the Garden of Gethsemane was a lonely place. He had companions, but they weren't really companions. He withdrawn to a place of quietness. Um, doesn't that sound inviting? Let's go to a lonely place, you know, by myself. Um, some of us like that. Um, we're not made to live there. But we are all designed to go there as a part of our regular rhythm of life. Um, I think it's a lonely place because when you're in a lonely place, an isolated place, this, this, um, there's no distractions. Um, there's no demands on us. Um, I'm going out to the desert next week, but that way it's like a little, little, nobody can get a hold of me out there. So there's no demands. There's demands I put in my own life, which are more than it should be there anyways. 
So a place for your quiet time or prayer are all good, but there's also a deeper calling and discipline to move to a lonely place which is tested with their state of mind and heart as well. It's a place where all the things we use to find meaning and identity that are not from God get stripped away. That's what he wants to do there. It's a difficult side of solitude. And here we come and we come with uh, we come before God with nothing to offer in ourselves. And we're left in the hands of just God himself. So we're saying, the place of silence and solitude is a place where God begins to strip away all the things that we have trusted in all week that are not of him. Which is why we all might go there. Because it's hard. But the other side of it is, is a life. And there's freedom. So with that, what are some uh, basic purposes of silence and solitude? I'm just going to list some. There's more than this, but here's a few of them. One, there's rest. Um, it's good to stop and let go of our grip. Have you ever been like this? Um, how many have driven in the snow, like a very bad storm? And after you're done, you've realized your muscles are all sore because you've been like this the whole time, you know? Um, that's the idea here, just stopping. And we don't stop when work is done. That's not what the Sabbath stopping about. We stop because we're supposed to stop. And the work may not be done, and then we go back to it again. And so we stop and we rest. And part of the solitude is just to let some of that fall aside. We do it for recovery. And this goes a little bit deeper than rest. Sometimes I need to rest, but recovery can take a long time. Baker says this, living a fractured, distracted, busy life leaves a soul in a sick and weakened condition. Recovery involves quelling the riot of thoughts in the mind and thinning the overpopulation of images and feelings that accumulate with an abundance of activity. Silence and solitude are the recovery room for the soul weakened by busyness. Third, for listening, and perhaps this is the very hub of the wheel we're talking about the very core of what it's about is to hear to listen. Um, we quit listening to ourselves and all the many voices around us and we get reacquainted with the voice of God again. Even if it's just for five minutes or a moment or a day or whatever. Um, I do want to stress one thing. Um, the idea of being in silence and solitude and just emptying ourselves of everything and just whatever comes, that's what we get, is not what we're talking about here. Um, all the scripture reading is one and study is one of the disciplines. It's also the foundation for everything else we do. And so when we go in these places, we go with a foundation of the word behind us. Um, which is why getting to a lonely place, we sit and we let the word pour into us first. Because that's God's primary way that he speaks to us. We're not just listening for anything. We're listening to the voice of God, which usually comes through his word. So it's important that we have a foundation in the word before we undertake any of the disciplines. Um, as he speaks primarily to that. So we, we do these things and listen with a deep scriptural base in our life. Uh, next one is perspective. Here we get to see life through the eyes of God. Um, the silence and solitude begin to see things differently. Um, when you are caught in the midst of a bunch of stuff, you can't see anything clear. You're just caught in it. And so the silence and solitude steps us out so we can kind of see how God does things. Remember the story about of uh, John the Baptist's father, and he's in the Holy Holy Holies, and the angel comes to him and says, you're going to have a son, and he doubts, he says, no way, it's not going to happen. Remember what happens to him? He he doesn't get this talk. (laughs) He he, he loses his voice. He's he's not allowed to speak. God just says, for nine months, or longer, we're not really sure how long he had to wait, um, 
you don't even get to speak. Nothing's coming out. Um, this is going to be silent and unable to speak because you did not believe. Um, when it comes out of that time, nine months or longer of silence, of not being able to speak, his perspective has completely changed. And the words that come out are just glorious because his whole perspective has changed in that place. Um, we don't want to have to be forced to do it, by the way, but um, it was beneficial for him. Next, there's guidance, a place for seeking his will. So Jesus did with the disciples. Um, we, we go out and we get alone, just start giving guidance, show me your will. And then lastly, a realignment to his image, which is really this whole idea that um, God begins to tear down all the things in these moments that we've clung to, that we've depended on, that we, we have shaped our identity around. And God strips those away so we can be realigned to Him. The kind of things we talked about back this fall when we were talking about our, our services. Um, no one says this. This is a little long section here, but this is a... I think he does a great job of describing this. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. He has this idea that we build a scaffolding around the life that we depend on and holds us up. And it's not God. It's our own making that we do it. So in silence, we get rid of our scaffolding in solitude. We have no friends to talk to, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me, naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, sometimes nothing. And it's this nothingness that we have to face in our solitude. Not that we're nothing, but if we're clinging to everything else, but in God we find everything. And that what we, we have to find that place again. It's this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness sometimes so dreadful that everything in, wants, in me wants to run to my friends, my work, my distractions, so I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something apart from God. But that is not all. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, um, and this is if we choose to stay in there, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, weird associations jump about in our mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed <laughs> begin to show their ugly faces. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies in my heart and dream lustful dreams in which I am wealthy and influential and attractive or poor and ugly and in need of immediate consolation. And thus I try again to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all its vainglory. The task in solitude is to persevere, to stay in our cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leaving alone. It's a great statement. Um, and that's exactly what happens. We practice solitude and silence. Satan does not want us to be reacquainted with the Lord. So we are filled with all sorts of stuff comes. If you ever just trying to have some time for praying, and, you, and then you just, and you have bad thoughts going through your head, and there's all sorts of things going on, one trick to that is just wherever they go, just pray those things. Just, just pray, pray where those things go, and, and the enemy eventually gets tired of it. But all this stuff comes because he does not want us to go to that place. And if we still ourselves and learn and practice it as a regular habit, eventually those voices, the enemy, actually gets weird, worn out. And we begin to get refreshed with the, 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 the voice and the hearts of God again. And is that in that place, that is when I find again the name that God has given to me. And I find real rest and a reshaping and a fresh dependence on Him. 
So to summarize it, Howard Baker says this, to embark on the path of silence and solitude is itself a surrender of sorts. I let go of trying to control others through words or becoming quiet. I surrender to the feeling of being indispensable by withdrawing from my active life. I give up my dependence and activity and noise that shields me from my own emptiness. I relinquish my self-protective knowing and doing in order to participate in the authentic being with God. And finally, I surrender fear and place myself in God's loving presence. It is here in solitude that I learn to live by faith. It's an invitation to silence and to solitude. So a couple of practical steps. Like, so what do we do with that? Where is this place? Um, where is this place? So solitude, really? Um, in the midst of long work hours, so you have little children, um, demands of time, noisy neighbors, whatever that's going on in your life, noisy dorms, um, caring for an aging, aging parent, whatever it is, kind of like, well, what can I do with that? You know, what, what can we do? The only one place that maybe found is maybe Starbucks or something, and even that doesn't do it. Um, the good news is that the spiritual disciplines, remember we talked about this, like, they're not a goal to attain. They're something that we begin to press into. And God is not concerned thinking, You've got to get to this place where I'm doing this kind of these kinds of activities in my spiritual disciplines. He just wants us to turn fresh um, a little bit at a time. Rather, they are an invitation to life-giving rhythms and habits that will impact us no matter how small the steps. One writer says this, of course we want to make all of our time time for God. But rather it, be, but it does begin by reserving a moment or a minute. Maybe an hour, and then a day, maybe someday a week, whatever period of time for God in begins the moment. Begins the moment. So a few practical steps. One, use um, what they call mini solitudes or these Sabbath minutes, these little moments that we all have already they already exist in our day. We don't have to create them. They're just there all the place. Um, someone called these things mini retreats. Um, maybe it's being in the shower. Um, my kids, it's not, my daughter's it's not a minute, it's like longer, but anyways, minute retreats in the shower, waiting at the stoplight, rather than sitting here going, when is it going to turn, there's there's an opportunity to, to rest our minds on the Lord again, even just having a verse in front of you, you can just re- revisit again, standing in line, waiting for your child to come out of school if you're waiting to pick them up, kids, if they take a nap, it's a good chance. Um, during your lunch break, rather than always being with somebody or doing something or checking the phone or doing this, actually get to find a quiet spot. You get half an hour, just already made for you. Arriving a little early to work and just sitting in your car. Nobody comes knocking on your door. Usually if you're sitting in the parking lot, they think there's something wrong with you leaving alone. And so they stay away. So arrive a little bit early. Or as you're driving to work, pull in. I've pulled into a gas station before. Just pull off the side of the gas station a little ways. Nobody bothers you there. You know, so it just you take ten minutes and then you continue because you know as soon as you get there it's going to get busy. So riding a little over to work, sitting in your car, um, or when you're about to leave, stay there for a few moments. Maybe your commute is an opportunity. Uh, make the routine the moments over, and there are tons of them, tons of them. And that is a beginning. It's in a good beginning. Matter of fact, I think we're supposed to take advantage of those moments. The old hymn says, take my moments and my days and let them flow with ceaseless praise. It doesn't say take a year. It just says, take my moments, take my days. 
Second of all, take a coffee break or a lunch or along the park. So like I said, rather than always having to be with somebody, it's okay to go, I'm gonna go just slip out through the park. Um, and it's quiet. Husbands and wives can exchange um, perhaps the getting up routines and going to bed routines for each other. Give each other a break for an hour, we've been in the cabinet. Daily routines of 15 minutes or just a half hour of Bible reading and prayer and then waiting built into the time. Take a walk or a hike, I know a lot of you love to do that. There's there's a place for that. We can busy ourselves that there's sometimes that's the best way to still our minds and our hearts. Don't sit along the side while you're walking, but out on the bike, whatever it might be. Find a special place for a once-a-week visit. Maybe you decide at doing these little things, but once a week I'm taking just 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and I'm going to figure out where that place is going to be, and it's going to be like Thursday afternoon at 4, and I'm always going to be there for just an hour. And just make that part of your, part of your rhythm of your life. And then eventually we can even sometimes do things where we schedule half a day, maybe a full day. Maybe use a vacation day for it at times, where it would be. Rigor times are better than periodic crash courses in solitude. Um, and I say that just because that's what I do. Um, rather than making the regular moments, suddenly it's like, we've got to do surgery here, and we've got to be really quiet, and so I go through the long period of time. That is not the really the way God designed for us to function. That's not a, a real rhythm, a real habit. The habits and rhythms are things that happen for every week. The bottom line, there's no growth, there's no fruit, unless we sit at the feet of Jesus. That's it. There's no growth, there's no fruit. Unless we find time to sit, sit at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you guys up here, just to, so you're up here as we start. But we're going to take a few minutes. Um, interesting, when we've had silent times in church, everyone knows how uncomfortable it gets. You know, even for, like I'll say, let's take about three minutes of silence. And I'm counting, I'm thinking a group in a minute. And I'm getting comfortable. So I'll usually cut it off pretty quick. Um, and we won't take much tonight, but it's interesting how we are not used to doing that. We simply are not used to doing that. So we're going to take a few minutes in silence. Um, you can sit, you can pray, um, listen, wait. Um, you can open up, I don't think I put it up there, Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, but you can look up in your Bible um, and just use that verse as a verse to meditate on for a few moments. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation and fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So Psalm 62, one, if you could open up to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, a few minutes, and no music, it be just quiet, just the kids, well, as I'll here tonight, and the sit and just wait on him. And then after that, um, I'll be praying over the bread and the cup, and we'll go into our, our time of music um, and communion with each other. So let's go into um, silence, and I'll, I'll start us out by this prayer from A.W. Tozer. Lord, teach me to listen. The times are noisy, my ears are weary with the thousand raucous sounds which continuously assault them. Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel when he said to you, Speak, for your servant hears. Let me hear you speaking in my heart. Let me get used to the sound of your voice, that its tones may be familiar, and the sounds of earth done away, and the only sound will be the music of your speaking voice. Amen.
reminders of all that you've done for us. Giving yourself totally and completely on behalf of our sin, for rescuing us from darkness and placing us in the light, for placing your Holy Spirit in us so we can hear your voice, for guidance and for life, and for all the goodness that you bring. So together as a community, Lord, we give you thanks. So 